I wanted to tell you guys, I was thinking before, and as I was listening to everyone pray and listening to just the, the gratitude that I heard, and I've been, as I've been processing through this passage and reading through the scripture and studying and just spending time with the Lord, He's made me be very aware of these, the love that you guys show, the, the love, the opportunity that we have to demonstrate that with each other. Um, and as I was um, preparing yesterday, nothing went as planned, but everything went right, everything went well. But one of the things that, as we get to Saturday, and Saturday's a crazy day after working all week, trying to study, trying to prepare, it ends up that Saturday is a large chunk is taken to prepare and to get ready to teach on Sunday. And one of the things that, that burdens me is I see my kids, and this is their Saturday, and I'm not necessarily available. I promise I didn't plan on crying this morning. No. <laughs> um, but yesterday, Rebecca came and took Karina to go bike riding, to go eat, to bake cookies, to hang out with her. And then Ernesto at six gets off of work, comes home, he gets Mariana, he takes her to Candy Cane Lane, he takes her to Starbucks, and he takes her to Cold Stone. Then my kids feel the love of our family that they have multiple aunts and uncles, they have multiple cousins, they have multiple family around them, and they can feel that love. And they're not reliant. Nita and I cannot be everything for them, but you guys can be the body. You can be that for them. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that I can be in a place and where our door swings open. It's revolving. Trent and Bonnie were there yesterday, and it's like, it doesn't stop. They keep coming. I'm like, it's, it's so cool. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for all of, all of you guys being involved in our lives. And I, I just wanted to share that as we think about what God has done over the past year and just the way that He would knit us together. And I just wanted to say that to you. So I'm appreciative of that. All right. Um, so we're going to be talking today, as we talked last week, about a pretty simple command. It's not a new command. John has talked about it multiple times through his book. And it's this command that we would love one another. And last week we talked about this love and before we focused on this actual living out, loving each other, we said we need to understand love. We need to understand God's love for us. And it even says that God, love is from God and God is love. And so we talked about this, that God has eternally been love. But do we know what love is? We may not be smart people, but we should know what love is because we've experienced it from God. And so we talked about two things. We talked about the lover being God himself, and then we talked about how he loves us. And the lover being that Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father have existed for all of eternity, this community, this love relationship, that God didn't create us so he'd have someone to love, that he was able to have this love within himself, within these three persons of the Trinity, and he experienced this love for all of eternity past. And it was the Trinity, it was it's God the Father, the Spirit, and the Son that were part of this creation that brought us into being. And it's God the Father and the Spirit and the Son who came and who began this redemption to bring us back into this relationship with them. So our relationships, these love relationships were broken, but God is repairing them. And so thinking about God's relationship, that there were three things that happened. That in this relationship, they're together, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
they're communing with each other, and yet they're exalting one another, raising the other one up, and then they're deferring to each other. So this is what's been going on for all of eternity. They've been experiencing this joy as they love on each other, as they care for each other, as they think about the other before themselves. And we talked about a dance, right? It's this orbit where they would dance around each other, focused on each other, thinking only about the other, and yet the other is doing the same for them. And then we have this invitation to enter into that dance. And that's how He's loved us. He sent His Son. He manifested. He made His love known to us by sending His Son. He came for us Himself. And He was sent in love. He came. He didn't just stay up in heaven. He didn't come from heaven, come down to earth, go back to heaven, come down to earth, go back to heaven. He came and He remained with us. He stayed with us. He lived amongst us. And He identified completely with us. He was fully God, but yet He was fully fully human. He experienced what we experienced. And He can intercede for us. He knows what we're going through. And as I said, He was sent to redeem those relationships. To restore that. It says we live through Him and He's been the propitiation for our sins. He did that so He could live the life we should have lived and He died the death that we deserve. All that so we could be a part of this relationship with Him. So we could join in this relationship with the Trinity. So we could share that, experience that, and so we could orbit around the God. We could orbit around the Father. We could orbit around the Son. We could orbit around the Holy Spirit. And that He would orbit around us. That He would include us in that. And so, if everything in our life is revolving around God, if we center Him, we orbit around Him, I talked about dancing, we get on the dance floor with God in a sense, and He's our focus. But we turn to the left, and we turn to the right, and we realize there's all these other individuals, all these other people out there with us. There's all these other people, like planets around the sun, that are orbiting around God. Those are His sons and His daughters. And we realize, I've got to figure out how to orbit around God, but yet also be in orbit with these, my brothers and sisters, these sons and daughters that are around me. And so that's what John wants to talk to us about, and how, what we're going to really consider today as we move forward. So we're going to look at chap, uh, chapter 4, verse 11 through 21. I will read in English and then Nidia in Spanish. So verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him, and He in us, because He has given us the Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is so also are we in, his, in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love, his, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Alright, so we're going to talk about all those words, all those sentences, all that text. We're going to talk about three things. Okay, we're going to talk about love's requirement. 
We're going to talk about love's result. And we're going to talk about love's reward. So love's requirement, love's result, and love's reward. So first of all, with the requirement, I think it's pretty simple. We don't have to be uh, rocket science to figure out. If you look in verse 11, and then you look at verse 21, the commands in this passage, the imperatives, uh, John telling us what we are to do, it's pretty clear. We're to love one another. If you look at the first part, he says, Beloved, so you loved ones. If God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That this love that we have for one another is motivated and is a response to God's love for us. As God has loved us, that's how we love one another. And God has been our model. As He sent His Son, He became flesh, He walked amongst us, He identified with, He was compassionate. That's, that's our model. That's what we're to do. We're to speak the truth in love. We're to follow Christ's example. And it's more than just a suggestion. If you look in this in the English, it says we also ought to love one another. That word is actually we are indebted to. If you have a debt, you have to pay it. All right? Because of God's love for us, we actually are indebted. The love we've received from Him was a love that says, now this love is going to change you, it's going to transform you, and through my love, you're going to be able to love others. You're indebted to love others the way that I have loved you. It's not a choice. We don't receive God's love and love God and don't love others. We have to, we're indebted to, to take that love. It changes us and we love others. And if you look at verse 21 at the end, it's like a bookend. So he said the commandment to begin this passage, and he says the same commandment in a different way. He clarifies it somewhat at the end, says it a little bit stronger, but in verse 21 it's the same idea. He says, whoever, and notice it says whoever, any of you, any of us, anyone, anyone walking in our neighborhood, anyone that walks in, anyone that comes to that place where they confess Christ, they must also must also love God and love others. They go together. They love God, they love others. It's the commandment that Christ has given us to love God, to love each other. We have to do that. That's together. We must do that. And I think what God is saying here, what He's telling us, it's like He says, if you're going to love me, look behind me and see my family with me. If you're going to love me, you have to love my family. You have to love the brothers and sisters that I'm going to bring you into that you're going to be a part of. If you love me, you're going to love them. It's like I was at McDonald's. I was meeting with Jovan. I wanted just a french fry. I needed to make it from lunch to dinner. And I'm looking at the menu and there's, it's hard to find just a french fry by itself. I wanted just a french fry and just a Coke. Because everything on the menu is a combo. Everything on the menu goes together. You can get combo one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. They have like 12 or 13 combos. But everything is put together. And on God's menu, it's like He's saying, this is my one combo. This is your one choice. This is your one option. You don't get anything else on the menu. If you choose me, if you receive my love, if you want to love me, you get the fries, you get the drink, you get everything that comes with this combo. And that are my children. These are my, my sons and daughters, your brothers and sisters. If you love me, you must also love them. You have to take the whole package. It's a package deal. And sometimes I think... We sort of ordered our relationships where we don't want the package deal. I want part of it. I want this part of it. I want this part of God. I want this part of my brothers and sisters. I don't want the whole thing. I don't want all of God and I don't want all of my brothers and sisters. They have a lot of baggage. They have a lot of issues. They insult me. They're, they're rude to me. They don't return my love. 
But God says, that's not part of the package deal. You get the whole thing. You love me, you have to love your brother and sister. So that's the requirement. Everything else explains this requirement. Everything else is for us to have this understanding. And I think it actually demonstrates God's love. He doesn't have to give us anything else. He can just tell us, this is what I want you to do, now go do it. He could be a parent that says, do it because I told you to do it, and that's enough. But he says, let me explain to you. Let me explain to you the results. Let me explain to you what's going to happen as you love me and as you love one another. This is going to be the result. This is what's going to happen because of that. So look at verse 12. It says, no one has ever seen God. If if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. So the two things, God abides in us, and God's love is perfected in us. These are the results of loving one another. These are the results of God's love in our life as we love one another. He's going to abide in us, and His love is going to be perfected in us. But before we go to abiding, before we go to perfecting, I just want you to notice again, because this is throughout, about this idea of the Trinity, this idea that we're going to be a part of, He's bringing us into this love relationship. So it's not just us loving each other, but we're a part of this fellowship that John has talked about with God the Father, His Son, with the Holy Spirit, and with each other. It says, because He's given us His Spirit. Then in verse 14, and we have seen and testified that who? The Father has sent His Son. You see that idea of the Trinity right there. You get to be a part of this. You get to be in this. And so we abide in Him, and He abides in us. Move on to verse 15. It says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. So we have come to know and believe that that the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. We've talked a lot about abiding. Right? This is all throughout the book of 1 John. To abide is to remain in this fellowship. To abide is to stay in the presence of God and continue to participate with God. That we're one with Him and we're one with each other. We're together. So I don't want to necessarily go more into that. But what is it that tries to take us out of this presence and out of this participation with God? If we're in this dance, if we're orbiting around God, what is it that tries to pull us out from focusing on God? What tries to take us from making Him central in our lives? Because, as we talked about, this ultimate reality is this love relationship that we get to be a part of. But I don't know about you guys, but as I go through my week, as I go through last week, as I went through yesterday, as I went through this morning, it feels like a battleground. It feels like just this, this warfare that's going on and I'm just struggling and there's just time after time like, this is a love relationship. I sure don't feel it. There's all these difficulties around, all these things that are trying to pull me away from God and make me focus on myself, make me protect myself, make me consider just myself. And I want us to understand that that is the enemy, that that is the work of the enemy, that he is trying to tempt us. He's saying... This is not going to work. This is not going to work to have this self-giving love that you give yourself to others and you're relying on others to give back to you and you're trusting others and you're trusting God and you're making yourself vulnerable. It's not going to work. But I want you guys to see that this is not just our experience. 
but that this was Christ's experience. This was Jesus' experience. That this was Adam's experience even before that. So when God created the Adam and Eve in the garden, they had this perfect relationship. They had this great relationship with each other, this perfect relationship with God. And what did the enemy do? He came in and he says, you really shouldn't listen to God. Don't believe God. Let me pull you from that. You need to focus on yourself. You need to have this for yourself. You need to be like God. And Adam and Eve fail. And creation stumbled from there. And we've felt the effects of that sin since then. But yet when Christ came, and He came to redeem those relationships that were broken, if you picture, if you look in the book of Mark, you look in any of the Gospels, when He was baptized and His ministry began, and He received the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit remained on Him, and the Father was pleased with His Son. What's the next thing that happened? Anybody? What happened after Christ was baptized? He went into the wilderness, right? He went into this wilderness and he was tempted. He was tempted by Satan and he was tempted by Satan to do what? He says, I want you to turn from, turn from orbiting around God. Don't orbit around God and don't orbit around these people. You can't trust them. You can be raised up. You can be the central point. You can be most important. They're going to they're going to turn on you. They're going to deny you. They're going to crucify you. They're not going to love you in return. Why don't you just focus on yourself? Why don't you, why don't you just come out of that orbit of God? Come out of that orbiting around, each, around those, your people and focus on yourself. And that's not the only time that that happened. Christ experienced that throughout His ministry and then He ends up in the garden. He ends up in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if you think about the Garden of Gethsemane, it's the exact opposite of the Garden of Eden. And so here is Christ. He's at this ultimate moment where He knows what He's about to do. He knows what He's about to experience. And He has to choose, is this going to be my will? Am I going to center around myself? Or is this going to be God's will? Am I going to center and orbit around Him? And so just as Adam and Eve were deceived and disobeyed about the tree, about this tree of life, there was Christ in the garden. He says, I'm going to obey about the tree. I'm going to obey about the cross. I'm going to orbit around you, God. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to defer. And I'm going to exalt. Because I want to have community with you. I want to be with you. And I want to bring all these. I want to bring your children into this community, into this relationship with you. And so He did that for us. And we need each other to do the same thing. We're going to be pulled again and again. We're going to be pulled moment by moment. Don't focus on others. Don't focus on God. Focus on yourself. And we need to be in relationship with each other. We need to be interacting with each other. We need to be encouraging each other. Say, no, no, no. Let's focus on God. No, no, no. Let's focus on each other. If we don't have that, we'll fail. If we don't have that, we won't continue to orbit around God. And I think about this in discipleship. Yesterday, the men got together. We had breakfast. Had pancakes, bacon, eggs. Milk, coffee. We prayed for you, Keith. We were thinking about you when you were gone. But one of the common themes that I heard as we talked about the struggle to even meet together, the struggle for discipleship, was I don't think, we may know, but I don't think we believe that we're interdependent on each other. That we actually need each other. I know I need you. I know you need me. But I don't know that I really believe that or else I would act differently. I would want to spend time. I would make it a priority to be with you, to spend time with you, to share with you, to be encouraged by you, to be sharpened by you. And Emmanuel brought that up as we were talking. He's like, shouldn't we be thinking about it that 
It's actually my responsibility that I need to be thinking about that individual that I'm meeting with before I think about myself, that I think about their growth, I think about their walk, I think about how they are worshiping God, how they are honoring God, that I should be considering them even before I consider myself in this relationship. And if I did that, that makes me vulnerable. If I did that, I'm not focusing on my own growth, my own, my own uh, sanctification, but I would focus on theirs. But then he would have to trust that other individual. He would have to trust others in the body to consider that and be concerned about him and, have, and, and, and act into his life. And so that's my question. Who do you consider most? Who do you consider most in this body? Who do you think about most in living stones? Who are you most concerned with? And who should that focus be? I've interacted with so many people this week, but my focus has been on myself. My focus has been on me. It's just natural. It's the way we are. It's the way we're wired. But we have to be loving one another. We have to be entering into that. We have to be focusing on each other. So as we abide in Him, something happens. As we abide in Him, we remain in Him, we move from this self-focus and we move to this place of other focus, of God focus and loving our brothers and sisters. And it says that His love is perfected in us. So this is the second thing that happens. This is the second result. So the first is that we get to abide with Him and the second is that we, His love is perfected in us. In verse 17 it says, By this is love perfected with us. His love is perfected in us. And that word perfected is that it's completed. That it reaches its goal, it reaches its, its purpose. And the purpose of God's love in our life is to redeem that relationship and where we can have love with Him, but then how we can also love one another. That's when love is completed, love is perfected, when we actually love one another. Because of God's love in our life, because of the love we've received, because of our love for Him, we actually are led to love one another in the same way that God has loved us. And that way, that's when His love is perfected. And when that happens, God's love is seen. God's love is manifested. When love for others is produced. And so I think sometimes we forget that last step. If this is a dance, we know that we need to understand God's love for us. That's the first step. The next step is we need to love God in return. We respond because it's love that He's had for us. But then the last step is to then love one another. And sometimes we leave the last step out. But we can't go on. We can't repeat the dance. We can't repeat the steps unless we do all of them. And I remember when I was in seventh grade, I'm sharing with you all my uh, most embarrassing moments and the reasons why I can't dance or don't want to dance. I was in seventh grade. I went to church youth camp with a friend of mine. And I'm from Georgia, so country music was influential. And uh, when I was in seventh grade, everybody was uh, boot scooting. <laughs> Everybody was boot scooting. <laughs> 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 and 
And I, can, I confess, I had a pair of boots and a hat, but, but Nidia made me get rid of them when we got married. <laughs> um, but we were at this camp, and part of it was the line dancing was in. And they were going to teach us to line dance. We were going to have fun. We were in this big gym. There were all these kids. And I'm in seventh grade. I'm pretty you know, aware of others around me and what they're thinking, what they're looking at. And I know that I really can't dance. But okay, I'm going to try this. I'm going to get out there. And they had an instructor. And she's teaching you know, one step at a time and then go from side to side. And of course, the whole time, I'm just looking down at my own feet. And she goes through the instruction. I'm like, I got it. I got it. And then they, so they start the music, right? And we're all out there together. And you're supposed to be going in unison. You're supposed to be moving with each other. And I'm still looking at my feet. I'm still thinking the next step for the next step and the next step. And I'm feeling so confident. I'm having a good time. And all of a sudden I look up. And everybody else in the entire camp is on the other end of the gym. In the other corner. I had been over here dancing by myself doing my own... My own steps, my own rhythm, they had all had shifted over this way. They had all kept on boot scooting all the way over to the other corner. And there I was by myself. And so what did I do? I got off that floor as quick as I could. <laughs> and that's what happens with us. We get out there with each other. It's like, I'm going to give this a shot. I'm going to try and love one another. I'm going to try and love my brother. I'm going to try and love my sister. And we trip over each other and we stumble over each other. Somebody offends us and somebody insults us. And I, I, I tried to give myself to you and you didn't give yourself in return. And this is feeling awful and this is awkward. And So I'm going to step off. I'm going to step off the floor. I can't dance anymore. But it takes practice. If you're dancing, you have to repeat the steps. You repeat them, you repeat them, you repeat them. And we have this opportunity with each other to repeat those steps, to love God and to love one another. And we have to practice that. And we might stumble through and we might be on the wrong side of the gym, but we have to continue to practice that with each other, to continue to go through step by step and then repeat those steps and then repeat those steps. And God will make it beautiful. And it can be simple. It doesn't have to be. It's not, a, it's not an intricate dance. It's a simple dance. There's just a few steps. But each step has to be included. So it's one thing to know all the steps. I thought I knew them. But then it can be intimidating. It can be fearful. Fear can make us move off the floor, off out of this dance, out of this love relationship with God and out of this love relationship with each other. And if you look as uh, verse 17 goes on, it says, So that we may have confidence... For the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. Verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Fear keeps us from being in these relationships. And as we talk about fear, fear here, it's this dread, it's this terror. It's what I felt when I looked up and I was all by myself. And just considering this for my own life, I thought, what is it? What does that actually mean? What am I in terror of? What am I in fear of? And I know for me, so much of why I don't participate is because I'm, scared. I'm, I'm, I'm fearful I'm going to fail. I'm fearful I'm going to go into this situation 
and I'm, I have no idea how to love this person. I'm not going to do it right. I'm not going to do it well. I'm going to screw the whole thing up. I'm going to make a disaster of this situation. I was having a conversation last night that broke my heart and I had no idea how to respond. This situation from an individual was shared with me. I'm like, what in the world? How are we supposed to respond to that? How, what are we supposed to do? This is a completely broken situation. Where do you start? And I could just be still say, I don't know what to do. I don't know how we can do that. That sounds hopeless. I'm, I'm scared we're going to fail. Let's just not participate. Let's just not do that. Let me not love this person. And then I have a fear of being found out. My hope when I was on that dance floor is that nobody saw me and I got off as quickly as I could. Because if I, if I do that, if I respond to others, if I try and love them and I fail and then others realize that I am not, I'm having a hard time loving others, I'm failing at loving others, they're going to see me for who I am. They're going to see me that I have issues. They're going to see me that I struggle to love. And sometimes it's easier just not to be in those relationships, not to love my brother and sister, because somebody actually might see that I'm broken. Somebody might actually see that I have struggles. Somebody might actually see that I need to grow, that I need to trust more. So failure, the fear of being found out, and then the fear of unreturned love. If you guys, those of you who've been in relationships, there's nothing quite worse to love on someone, to put yourself out there, to lay it all on the line, and someone not respond. Someone not return your love. There is this fear, and I remember even when I shared with Nita, these are my intentions for you. I'm, I'm going to come after you. I am enamored by you. That You're the one that I want. There was something about putting that out there and saying, what if she doesn't return it? What if she doesn't respond? What am I going to do? I'll just keep it to myself. I just won't step into that relationship. And so what is it for you? Is it this fear of failure? This fear that you won't be able to love? Is it a fear that you'll be found out? We'll actually see how broken we are? Or is it a fear that, wow, if I love on my brother or sister, what if they don't love on me in return? What is it that keeps you from entering into that relationship? What is it that keeps you from loving one another? So that's our fear. And it's interesting as you look at this verse, at the end of verse 18 it says, For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears, so it moves to this verb, whoever actually responds and acts on their fear. And what this word means to fear and the action, the action, the verb of that is to actually to flee, to run away, to turn the other direction, to withdraw yourself from that. And you see that if we have this fear that it makes us withdraw from these relationships, we run out of these relationships. And it says if we do that, if we pull out, we have not been perfected in love. God's love is not being perfected in us if we don't hang in there, if we don't trust God and choose to love one another, despite our fears of failure, despite our fears of not, love not being returned, despite our fears of being found out. So that brings us to the peace. Well, how do we do that? How do we overcome this fear to love each other? And if you look at verse 19, John says, he answers, we love because he first loved us. That's the reason. That's how we do that. The only way we love God is because we trust God. The only reason we love each other is because we trust God. The reason we love God, the reason we love others, 
is because we trust God. It's not that I trust you, I trust you, my brothers and sisters, right? There's a level of trust, but I don't continue to love you and, and continue to pour myself out and continue to empty myself and defer to you because you deserve it, because you've done something well, because you've returned my love. I love you because I trust God, because God tells me to do this, and He is faithful, and it will be good. And that's what faith, like we talked about, that we believe the Word of God, that we believe His commands, that we would act based upon it regardless of how I feel, regardless of what this looks like, how it's going to turn out to me, but because God promises that it's for His glory and it's for my good. The only way that we can get beyond that fear is to trust God. And that's the example that Christ gave us. If you think through His life, through the temptation... He loved others over and over and over again. No one understood his love. No one understood what he was doing at times. People rejected him. People spoke badly of him. People left him. And they sent him to the cross. They crucified him because he loved them so much. They turned on him. He gets to the end. He's... He's there, he's about to go on the cross, and those few disciples that were still following with him, they all flee. They all turn because of their fear. They all deny him because of their fear. But he continued to love, not because he trusted his disciples, not because he trusted us or how we would be, but he trusted what God was doing. And so that's what God is asking for us, that we would trust him regardless of our brothers and sisters, or regardless of how we respond to each other. So I'm going to show a video. And as Mark pulls that up, you'll recognize this guy. And uh, this is a plug for EBC and a plug for Ernesto. <laughs> if you haven't heard this video or watched this video, the main point is that sometime you would go to this video on YouTube and you would actually check that you like it. You'd put the little thumbs up. And the, the point behind that is uh, with EBC, they're having this contest. So students can make these videos that are four minutes or under. And you'll see that, as you guys know, Ernesto likes the mic, right? And so they could do it for four minutes or under. And Ernesto's goes, four minutes exactly. All right? <laughs> but as I got his email the other night, I couldn't wait. I couldn't wait to see it. It's like, I, I was so excited to hear what he's going to say. And I realized that part of my excitement was because his story is my story. What he does and what God is doing in him, we get to participate in that. He is my brother and I am trying my best to love on him. Sometimes it's hard, sometimes we do it well. But like his story and what God is doing and God's faithfulness to him is my story, is God's faithfulness to me. And I get to sit back and I get to watch what God is doing and I get to be excited with him, I get to cry with him, but like, I get to be a part of it. And so I want you guys to watch this and consider what he says. So my hope is that that would encourage you but that it would also challenge you. One of the things that Ernesto says, he doesn't know how to make these fancy videos with fire and smoke and, and dancers. It's well choreographed. It's just simple. But I think that's what God calls us into. This interaction, this love relationship with each other, it's simple. We love God. We love each other. That's how simple it is. But if you hear, he said, we, as he talked about his church, he said, we are a family. 
We care for each other. We walk with each other. It doesn't matter what happens because they've got my back. He's seen how God has been faithful. He's experienced His faithfulness through the body, through living stones, through those of us around Him. And it's changed His life. It's, it's, it's been something that He can lean on. But His faithfulness ultimately is in God. And I think so much of that, so much of Ernesto's experience is because he's been willing to give and he's been willing to receive. He's been willing to put himself out there to be vulnerable, to share, to go out of his way, to give up of himself. I know he has in my life and I know he has in many of your lives. And because he's loved one another, because he's loved us, because he's been obedient in that, God is perfecting this love in him and he's changing that in him. And so that's what God is asking us to do. And I feel like that's enough and maybe we should stop. <laughs> but I want to address one last piece in this. Because as I went through this, I didn't know what to do with this part of the passage. I was studying it. I, I had the other things that make sense to me. It makes sense in the context. It makes sense with the, the words that are behind that. But as I dug into and looking at, starting in verse 17, it says... So that, by, by this is love perfected, so that. He says, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. And he says, as he's in the world, so also are we in the world. And then he talks about this punishment. That for fear has to do with punishment. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this? I don't really understand what he's saying. How, how is this, 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 this judgment, this day of judgment, this, this fear of punishment, uh, being in the world as he's in me, all this, that's not making sense to me. And I just continue to study, I continue to look, and I want to read you guys from Matthew chapter 25. And this is a passage that we're familiar with, but I want us to read this passage through, and then I want us to read this section of, of 1 John. Because I think it's a, almost a direct application. It's, I mean, I, I can't imagine as I read this and as I looked at where these, these words were connected and this, this concern and this message are connected that John didn't have this in mind. So Matthew 25, 31 through 46. And we'll read this together. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. Verse 36, I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. 
Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Verse 44, Then they will also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison? and did not minister to you. Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And you're like, well, how does that, how does that have to do with First John? As it looked at these ideas of judgment, looked at this idea of punishment, the one other place in Scripture where that word is used is in Matthew 25. And if you look at this, he says we're to have this confidence in this day of judgment. Confidence is the absence of fear. Not because of our love, but because of this love that God has given to us and that He's made manifest through us. And it says because as He, in this in 1 John, because as He is so also are we in the world. Just as Jesus is in this world, we are in this world because Jesus is present in His body. He's present in His children. He's present in His sons and daughters. And as we respond to His sons and daughters, we're responding to Him. As we do for His sons and daughters, we do for Him. As we don't do for His sons and daughters, we don't do for Him. As He is so, also are we in the world. And as we love who is seen, it confirms this love for God. We see Him in His sons and daughters, but we see Him even in the least of these. Not just some of His sons and daughters, but all of His sons and daughters. Anyone that confesses Him. So are you loving one another? Are we loving one another? Is our, is our love reciprocal? Are we giving and receiving? Maybe you're interacting in your discipleship relationship. Maybe you've got a couple people, but are you truly willing and able and demonstrating this love for others in the body? And then are you loving the least of these? Think about the person within Living Stones that you have the hardest time loving. Think about it. Identify someone. Think in your mind. Who is it that's hardest for me to love? It's uncomfortable. <laughs> but we have to love even the least of these in our own mind. We have to love those that are hard to love in return. We have to love those that may not love us back. We're called to love one another. You're indebted to love one another. We must love one another. So that's our requirement. It's pretty simple. The results are is that we get to abide in God and God abides in us. And that through that abiding, He perfects our love. He actually moves us. He changes our hearts and transforms us where we can actually love one another the way He's loved us. And the reward is, is we get this eternal relationship with Him. We get this eternal love relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and with each other. That's the requirement. That's the result. And that's the reward. Let's pray.
Father God, thank you for this time, Father. I pray that you would take your word and that you would plant it in our hearts, Father. I pray that we would go back to this, that we would consider this, that we would study this. Lord, and that you would apply it in our lives, Father. You would give us understanding. Lord, that we would be moved and motivated by your love for us. So much that we would learn and we would be able to love each other, Father. Lord, I pray that you, because of the love you have for us, that you would push us past our fears, that we would not stay centered on ourselves, that we would not stay static, Father, but that we would orbit and move around you, and that we would orbit and move around each other, Father. Lord, keep us in motion, Father. Lord, give us a a fearless love that would make us step out, that would make us step into each other's lives, Father. Lord, as we do that, Lord, that you would remain with us, that your Holy Spirit would help us, that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand truth and make application of it in our lives. Lord, that you might perfect your love in us. Lord, I pray that Living Stones will be a place where your love is being perfected. Lord, that we would manifest you. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to love one another, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.